This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. I'd like to join the other brethren in welcoming everybody here this morning. Appreciate that you can make it with us and we could worship God together and sing praises and study another portion of His Word. I appreciate the prayers on my behalf. And it's my prayer that the things we study will be in strict accordance to God's Word, and also it'll be useful to you and beneficial as we continue our Christian walk together. For a little while this morning, I want to look at one of our main responsibilities that we have as Christians today, which is to bring lost souls to Christ. And we know from the Great Commission that Jesus taught us that we're supposed to go out and spread the gospel, go teach people and baptize them. Let's go ahead and look at that. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15 and 16, Jesus said to them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he, but he that believeth not shall be damned. We know this to be true. We know that Jesus has taught us this a few times. It's also in Matthew chapter 28 that we see the, the great commission that we have is Jesus is sending us forth to go teach the world and teach about His love, His salvation for them and their souls, and to go bring lost souls to Him. If you look in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5, Paul writes, But watch thou in all things... Endure afflictions and do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. When you look up that word evangelist in the Strong's, it means a preacher of the gospel. And in the Thayers, it's a name for New Testament heralds of salvation through Christ who are not apostles. Now, an evangelist is a designated role that we see in the church. Like we have Pat. Pat is an evangelist. He's been ordained into that role as an evangelist. But what Paul is teaching us here is that all of us should be doing the work of an evangelist. Whether you have that official title or not, we're all supposed to be going out and being a preacher of the gospel, going out and teaching lost souls and teaching them about, about Jesus. You know, we, we've heard it all of our life that Jesus told us He is the way, He's the truth, and He's the life. And we know that nobody can come to the Father except through Jesus. And we believe that to be true. And I know you believe that to be true or you wouldn't be here this morning. But I want you to ask yourself for a second. You believe it to be true for your life. Do you also believe that to be true for all of the other lives around you? Think about the friends and family that you have. Think about people that you see on a daily basis. Do you truly believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life for them? And if you do, are you willing to share that with them? If you look in Acts chapter 4, verse 10, it says, Be it known unto you and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We know that there is no other way to get salvation unless it's through Jesus Christ. We know that to be true. But do we believe that to be true for everybody else in your life as well, not only yourself? And if you do believe that to be true for them as well, do they know about it? Do they know that Jesus is the only way for them to have salvation of their sins and to have a hope of eternal home in heaven? Do we look at people in the world today, people in your life, the same way that Jesus looked when He was here? Let's look at how Jesus looked at people. In Matthew chapter 9, Verse 35, it says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. 
But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion upon them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. When Jesus went out and he was teaching all these people, there was great multitudes following him at different times during his journey. And Jesus would see these multitudes, and when he saw them, he was moved with compassion towards them because he knew that they needed salvation. He knew that they needed his teachings and that they needed to follow after him. And he knew some would and some wouldn't. And he was moved with compassion towards them that he took action and did something about it. Jesus also said that the harvest is plenteous. The harvest is out there. When we look at the world today, we look at different people in your lives that you have interaction with on a daily basis, they are ready to be harvested. They are a lost soul that needs help through Jesus. And Jesus said for us to pray for laborers to go into the harvest. Now, who was Jesus talking about to be the laborers of the harvest? He's talking about us. We are the laborers of this harvest. When you think about farming, you can look out on crops and you can see when it's ready to be harvested, you need someone to go out there and to get that fruit. Go get the vegetables. Go work on it. Go, go do what they need to do to bring that harvest in so it's not wasted. We are the laborers. Go out and find these people and help them. The people are already there in your life. Are you willing to share Jesus with them? And that's what Jesus expects us to do. That's why he gave us the Great Commission. Jesus has plenty of love for the entire world. And it's up to us to go share that love with them. So for a little while this morning, I want to look at how we can be effective at bringing people into Christ. I want to look at a few different examples and some different ways that, that we have in the Bible of how people were able to teach about Jesus and bring them to Christ so that they could have remission of their sins. And look at some examples of how we can apply it to our lives so we can be more effective at spreading the gospel to the other people so that they will come to Christ as well. So the first way I want to look at is simply direct conversations. One way that you can be effective about teaching other people about Christ, simply talk about it. Talk about Christ to other people. Ask them some questions. So the first example we're going to look at is in John chapter 4, and it's kind of a lengthy reading, but this is going to be when Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. So John chapter 4, and we're going to read 5 through 26. So then cometh he, talking about Jesus, to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, how is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us this well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. 
But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And Jesus said unto her, Go, call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. And in that sayest thou truly. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour coming when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto Him, I know that Messiah is coming, which is called Christ. When He is come, He will tell us all things. And Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am He. If you continue to read on, you can continue to go through John chapter 4, and the Samaritan woman goes back into the city, and she starts telling all these men about this great prophet that's told her all these things. And then these men come out and they start meeting and talking with Jesus as well. So a couple things to point out. This is a direct conversation between Jesus and a Samaritan woman who needed salvation. So he recognized that she needed it and he, he spoke to her. So one point to remember is that Jesus did not discriminate who he talked to. Now at this time, just as Jesus said, salvation was only for the Jews. But Jesus knew that that was going to be changing later on. He didn't discriminate who he was talking to. The Samaritan woman needed salvation. She needed to know that Jesus was the Christ, that he was the Messiah, and he had the way of eternal life, and that's what he taught her. Something else is just how he starts the conversation. Jesus started the conversation with simply asking, can you give me a drink? That was the icebreaker. A lot of times starting the conversation is not as complicated as we want to make it out to be. We tend to think we need to have the magic words to say to lead them into talking about Jesus. And sometimes it's simple as like, hey, can you give me a drink? Just start the conversation and then see where it goes from there. And that's what Jesus did. He started the conversation and then he let her kind of direct the path of what answers he needed to, to deal with. So this led uh, her to bringing other people from the city to come see Jesus. And sometimes when we think about people that we're talking to, think about people in your life that sometimes it's the least likely candidates that can be the biggest fruit bearers for the kingdom of God, just as a Samaritan woman. Think about this woman. She was a woman of Samaria. She had five husbands in the past. Now the man she's living with is not her husband. We would tend to look at her as another human and say, she's probably not a great fit for the kingdom of God, right? Jesus said she was. And Jesus talked to her and was able to teach her. And with that, she went and spread that message to so many other people. Now, I don't know what happened to all those people, but what we do know is that when she found out and she heard that Jesus was the Messiah, she was willing to go share that with other people. So sometimes the least likely candidates that we see in our life can be the biggest fruit bearers for the kingdom of God. So make sure when you're doing your part and having these direct conversations, you're not discriminating as well, because you never know what kind of fruit it's going to turn into. The next example we have of a direct communication is Philip and the eunuch in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 and verse 26, it says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, 
a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understand what thou reads? In verse 35 it says, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. So here we have this man from Ethiopia, and he's trying desperately to understand what the scriptures say. So he's reading in the book of Isaiah, and he's understanding. He, you can read more in Acts chapter 8, where some different parts that he's reading, was where it talks about that Jesus was a lamb led to the slaughter. And, and what the eunuch asked was, is this prophet talking about himself or some other man? And that's when Philip began to teach him about Jesus. So a couple things is Philip was sent by the Spirit. If you look there in verse 29, it says, Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go thither and join thyself. What was Philip's reaction when he got the call to go? Well, it's there in verse 30. It says, And Philip ran thither to him. So Philip's example to us is that when he was called, he took action immediately, and he ran towards that opportunity. You and I have been called today as well. Go preach the gospel, just like we read about in the Great Commission from Jesus. Are we doing our part in running towards these opportunities and going to have these conversations with people? The example that we have from Philip is a very simple example as well, that he ran and he found the eunuch and saw what the eunuch was reading. He just asked a simple question to, to kick off the conversation. Do you understand what you read? There are so many people in your life that you, you see on a daily basis, that you have conversations with, that they are desperately searching for the truth. Sometimes they don't know where to look. Sometimes they don't know what questions to ask. Sometimes they may be reading a whole lot of other books or listening to a lot of stuff online. They're desperately looking for answers, and they're needing you to just show them the way, just as Philip showed the eunuch the way. All he did was say, do, do you understand what you read? And then in verse 35, it says, he began at the same point, where the eunuch was reading, and he began to preach about him, Jesus. So Philip looked at the eunuch, and the eunuch had a base level of understanding of the Scriptures. There wasn't much, but he had a little bit of an understanding on the Scriptures. And Philip was able to use that foundation that the eunuch had and be able to teach upon that and show them about Jesus. And that's the same example that we can follow today. Most people in our life, they have a base understanding about who Jesus is. They, they pretty much know that Jesus is the Son of God, that He came and He lived for us, He died on the cross for our sins. They have that base understanding, but do they really know what it means for them in their life? Do they really know how it applies to them? That's where we can come and build upon that foundation, just as Philip built. So when you're having these direct conversations with people, and you're just going and talking with them, you're spreading the gospel, you're talking to them about Jesus and how it applies to them and what they should do about it, there's some different things that I want you to consider, which is what I call the anatomy of a conversation. When you're looking at the anatomy of conversation, the first thing you want to do before you have a conversation with someone is check your mindset. Why are you having a conversation with these people? Are you doing it to prove a point? Are you doing it to show where someone may have been wrong in the past? Or are you doing it truly out of love and to show them the love that Christ has for them? So check your mindset before you go into a conversation. The second thing is define your win. Defining your win could simply be initiating the conversation. A win could be you're just going to go ask them, hey, where do you go to church? Would you like to join me someday? That could be a win. 
make sure not to get too caught up on the results of the conversation, but really focus more about what you can do for the conversation. So define your win. The third thing, which is a really big one that we usually forget, is focus on unity, not division. A lot of times we see conversations and we want to nitpick and we want to point about maybe somebody goes to a different denomination or a different church that they don't agree the same way we do on some minor points. We tend to really focus on those minor points that we disagree upon and think about all of the points that we do agree upon. Do we agree that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and that died for the world? Yes. Okay, let's start there. Do we agree that we should follow after God's word and apply it to our life? Yes. Okay, let's work on that. So when you're having conversations with people, let's remember to focus on unity, and we can solve our differences and divisions later on. But let's remember let's, it's unity first. And finally, remember it's always their decisions. I know when you have conversations with people, and I've been in there too, it can be very frustrating and disheartening when people don't take appropriate action that you want for them in their life. You know what the answer is. You know if they just did this one little step, their life would be so much better. And they could just follow after God and, and all their problems would be solved. And they don't do it. And sometimes it's very disheartening and very frustrating. But we got to remember, it's their decision and they're a soul as well. And they have to make their own choice. What you got to focus on is what you can do, which is to plant the seed and sow and water and see what you can do to help them out. And then they're going to make the decision. So remember these things when you're having these conversations with people. Check your mindset. Define the win. Focus on unity. And remember, it's always their decision. Now, the second way that you can be effective in spreading the gospel is with charitable gifts. A lot of times, in order to initiate one of these conversations, is if you can fulfill a physical need, it can open a spiritual door. So when you look at these people, think about some needs that you can help fulfill. We see some examples of that in Matthew chapter 14, verse 13 through 21. It says, when Jesus heard of it, so what Jesus had just heard of at this point is John the Baptist, his cousin, had just passed away. So Jesus had just heard that John passed away. He departed thence by ship unto a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. And when it was evening, the disciples came and saying, This is a desert place, and the time is now past. Send the multitude away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. But Jesus said unto them, They need not depart. Give ye them to eat. And they say unto them, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. And he said, Bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and two fishes. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and brake and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitudes. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up the fragments that remained twelve baskets full, and they that had eaten were about 5,000 men beside women and children. So this is a story we read about a lot of times, which is Jesus feeding the 5,000. But why did Jesus do this? Why did Jesus feed the 5,000? Well, it's a couple things. Number one, they had need to eat. They were hungry. They had been following him and wanting more of his teachings, and they, they had this need for food. And Jesus was moved with compassion when he saw them. And Jesus was able to fulfill this physical need and be able to feed these people. And it also gave him more of an opportunity to teach them. So when the crowd followed him, he was moved with compassion and gave them food. And it was able to teach them more. Another example that we have is in Acts chapter 5, verse 12 through 16. It says, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. 
And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, and the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and lay them on beds and couches. And at the least, the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about Jerusalem, bringing sick folks, and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, every one. So these people, this is when the apostles were out and they were teaching about Jesus. Now the apostles had this miraculous gift where they could go heal the sick, and that's what they were doing. Now I want to ask for a second, why did these people first go to the apostles? Did the people first go to the apostles because they wanted to hear about Jesus? Or did they first go to the apostles because they had some sick among them that they wanted their sick healed? It's because they had sick among them. So they first went there to fulfill a physical need, which is to heal their sick. The apostles then used that physical need that they filled and used that as an opportunity to teach them more about Christ. And that's what it talks about in verse 14. It says, And believers were added the more added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So the apostles were able to use this gift that they had, which is to fulfill the physical needs of the people around them, and use that to go heal and teach people about Christ. Now, when you think about this, we know that we can't perform these miraculous gifts. We can't go out and take a little bit of food and feed 5,000 people. We know that. We can't go physically heal the sick with miraculous gifts. But what can we do? What can we do as Christians today? Well, we can show the love of Christ by giving to other people in need. If you look in Galatians chapter 6, verse 8 through 10, it says, For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. What Paul is writing here to the church of Galatia is that we should be doing good to all men as we have opportunity. Ask yourself this morning, is there an opportunity that you have today that you can go help someone? I bet there is. I bet there's people in your life that they need something, that they need some help. Maybe it's an encouraging phone call. Maybe it's a meal dropped by. Maybe it's help around their house. Who knows? I bet that there is a need that someone has that's in your life that you can help fulfill. And Paul writes to the church of Galatia, and he says, As we have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, and especially do good to them of the household of faith. So doing good to all men includes those outside the church. That could be community involvement. That could be helping your neighbors. It could just be helping friends of friends. It could be helping all these different things. And as we have an opportunity to help these physical needs, it could open that spiritual door where then you can talk to them about Jesus. If we look in Matthew chapter 25, verse 34, or sorry, let's look at Luke chapter 6, verse 27 through 36. It says, But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, and do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on one cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do to you, do you also to them likewise. For if you love them which love you, 
what think of you? For sinners also love those that love them. If you do good to them which do good to you, what think of you? For sinners also do even the same. And if you lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what think of you? For sinners also lend to sinners and receive as much again. But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be of the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. What Jesus is teaching us here is show love towards everybody. Not just the people who already show you love, but think about all the people that's in your life that they just need a little bit of a helping hand. And one thing that we've heard this quote a thousand times, and I'm going to mention it again, is that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. They really don't care what you think about Jesus. They really don't care how much you know about the Bible. They don't care how much you go to church or how you're trying to improve your life. What they care about is do you care for them? Or you, do you care enough for them to help them when times of need, when times of struggle? Do you care for them? And when you do, then they're going to care about how much you know. Then they're going to look for you as an example when they have questions about the Bible or how they should follow after Jesus. So show them how much you care. If you look in Matthew chapter 25, verse 34, it says, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee, and hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? And when saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer, and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, and as much as you've done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it to me. This is Jesus teaching us here, and he's saying that when we go and we help other people, it's just like we're doing it to Jesus himself. If any one of us saw Jesus and we recognized that it was Jesus out there and he needed help, every single one of us would drop whatever we're doing and we would go help Jesus, wouldn't we? Every single time. And Jesus is telling us when we do it for other people, it's just like we're doing it for him. So look at these ways and these opportunities of how you can fulfill these spiritual or these physical needs, how you can go help people that they need. They need something, and you can go help them out, and then you can teach them about Christ and bring them to Him. The third way I want to look at of how we can be more effective on bringing others to Christ is simply your daily conduct of life. When you think about this, I would title this as be a convert magnet. Be someone that other people are attracted to you to find answers, to find solutions in their life. If you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, this is Paul writing. He says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me, what is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel... I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. For though I be free from all men, yet I have made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law as without law, 
being not without the law to God, but under the law of Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. What Paul is writing and telling us here is Paul put himself in a position to become relatable to all men. So whoever he was dealing with at the time, he would find ways that he could relate to them. Now one thing he did not do is he never changed his beliefs or his values. He always stuck to those. He just found opportunities that he could become relatable and look for points of unity so he could help other people. Something else to point out is there in verse 22 at the very end, he's, Paul says that I might by all means save some. He realized that not everybody we're going to talk to is going to follow after Christ, and it's always going to be their decision. But he was always looking for an opportunity to become relatable and show people how he could help them. We see an example of how uh, Paul was able to do this as he helped other people in Acts chapter 16, verse 24. This is when Paul and Silas were cast into prison. Acts 16, 24, it says, "...who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in stocks. And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out. And he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and were baptized, he and all his straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. A few things I want to point out of this example. Paul and Silas would be in what we would consider a time of trouble. They were cast into prison, and, and wrongfully so. They shouldn't have been in prison, but they were cast in prison. They were bound, and it was late at night. They were singing praises unto God. They were shining God's light during these dark times. When you think about your life, you think about different things going on, your light has the opportunity to shine the brightest in the darkest times. When everything's going great, light's kind of hard to stand out in other light, right? But when things are really dark and they've got all these hard things going against you and yet you stay true to the true light, which is Jesus Christ, you let His light shine through your life, that's when it can really shine the brightest to other people around you. You can show the hope that you have through Christ. And that's what Paul and Silas did. In one of their darkest times, they were cast into prison and they were singing praises unto God. Now, a couple of things that they had, this is where I would consider it a convert magnet, is other people were listening to them and they were watching. So think about what happened. There was a great earthquake. All the doors opened. All the shackles were loosed. Everything was available for every prisoner to go out and flee for their safety and for their freedom. And not a single one of them did. Think about all the people in prison that listened to Paul and Silas and that they listened to these praises they're singing to God and they didn't want to run away from it. They wanted to stay close to that. They wanted to hear more about what Paul and Silas had to say. Even the prisoner himself. Do you think when Paul and Silas were in prison that they had in the back of their mind, you know, if we sing praises 
maybe we can convert this prisoner that's keeping us here? They probably weren't thinking about that. And just as when we're living our daily life, there's people watching you and seeing how you handle certain situations, you don't realize they're watching, but they are watching you. The prisoner was watching Paul and Silas. And when he realized that they didn't flee, the first question that the prisoner asked, what do I got to do to be saved? Opportunity and the door is open. So Paul and Silas then used that opportunity and was able to teach them about Christ. So in, during these times of trouble, we can let our light shine and we can realize that there's more people watching how you handle situations that will give you an opportunity to bring them to Christ as well. If we look in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16, it says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. This is exactly what Paul and Silas did when they were in prison. They let their light shine during this dark place so that others could see their good works, they could see the praises singing towards God, and they were able to glorify the Father which is in heaven. And then they were able to completely change their life and their, their whole family's life forever by following after God from that point forward. So there are people in the world and there are people in your life with a true, honest heart that are looking for solutions in their life. They have troubles, they have tiredness, they have sin, they have wickedness, and they're looking for solutions of how they can do better and how they can get better. And they're going to look for you and to see if you're the kind of person that they want to follow after. If you're the example that you do have the, at least the source of the solutions and you know where to go to be able to help them. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. When you think about Paul and Silas in prison, they were showing hope in a dark time. Hope that they had hope of Christ. Even if they died in prison, they knew that that wasn't the end of the journey. We have the same hope. During these dark times that we have and during this trouble, we have hope in Christ that we can, we can make it out. And other people will see that hope when you're letting your light shine during those dark times. And they may ask you about it. You know, one of the darkest times that, that some of us tend to face is when there's other death in our life. When there's family members close to us or friends close to us that they die, especially when they die tragically and there's, there's no predicting it. When you can stay strong and you can lean upon your faith that you have in God, that is shining your light in a dark time that I guarantee you other people will ask you. They will ask you, how can you be so hopeful? How can you have so much cheer when all this negativity and all this hard stuff is going on? Be ready to give an answer of that hope. Be ready that when they ask you, you can tell them, this is where my hope comes from. Because I know death's not the end of the journey. And death's not the end of the journey for you either. That when we can work and we can focus on Christ, we can give that answer of hope to other people in our lives. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 through 7, it says, To inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in that last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, though the trial of your faith being much more precious than a gold that perisheth, Though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of our Jesus Christ. This is where our hope comes from. 
is that we have this incorruptible inheritance that's kept by the power of God waiting for you. You have that inheritance. You, this is where the hope comes from, that no matter how hard the life gets, no matter all these temptations and, and this heaviness for a season that we face, that we know that no matter how hard it gets here on life, all the hard things we have to face, it's not worthy to be compared to that inheritance that's waiting for us. That's where our hope comes from, and that's how we can answer the people when they ask you. And as Christians, we believe that our physical life here on earth is really just a very short experience of our eternal life. And this is the hope that carries us through challenging times, that we can have this positive attitude and positive outlook on life that then we can go spread with other people as well. So I want you to think just for a second. Think about what do people really want in their life? And I put just a short list here. Think about people, what they want. Number one, they want pleasant and positive relationships. They want a good family life. They want good friends. They want a community that they can belong to, that they can feel a part of. They want optimism for the future. They want to know that the future is going to be better than whatever they're facing here on earth today. They want to be around people who are unselfish and helpful to others. They want to know that they can depend upon people. I'm convinced that most people want to live a quiet and peaceable life. You know, here in America, it's easy to get caught up in the rat race of constantly wanting more and growing more, having more, all this stuff. But really, when you get down to the root of it, people just want a quiet and peaceable life. They just want to live life with the least amount of heartache possible and enjoy their time here. They want to be around people with a consistent character, no matter who is around. They want to know that the people they spend time with is going to be the same way they spend time with them, or they spend time with anybody else. They want consistent character. They also want people that will have honesty and integrity and be dependable. So these are, this is just a short list of what almost all people want in their life. And if we're going to attract other people to Christ, I want you to ask yourself, are you showing these qualities in your life today? Can other people look at you and say, I want to be around them because they have all these things? Does this mean your life is perfect? No. Does this mean you as a human are, is perfect? No. Does this mean that you are in a better place because you have a foundation in Christ than they do? Yes. And they want that better place for them as well. So are you showing these qualities in your life to attract others to Christ? That's what the apostles did. They showed these qualities. They showed the hope that was in them. And that led them to more opportunities to teach about Christ. So we've looked at three different ways how you can be more effective of bringing people to Christ. Number one, direct conversations. Number two, fulfilling charitable gifts, fulfilling physical needs. And number three, you're simply your daily life conduct. And I want you to think about for a second, what do all three of these have in common? When you think about these three different ways and these avenues to go out and bring lost souls to Christ, what do they have in common? They're all rooted in love. They're all rooted in the love that we have through Christ for other people in the world. If you look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. 
Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. Hereby we know that we dwell in Him, and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. 